0: This is the John Clayton Show
1: on 710 ESPN Seattle.
0: Get in on the conversation at 866-979-ESPN. Now here's your host,
2: the
1: professor,
0: John Clayton.
3: 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Gary Hill joining us at the bottom of the hour. Dave Grosby at 1030. Let's go to Jet in Seattle. Hey, Jet.
0: Dr. John, how you doing? Hanging in there.
1: So did they they sign your... uh... They sign your tender, and uh, are you still uh, uh, employed, or uh, are you playing on the one-year franchise tag? Uh,
3: Playing on the one-year franchise tag.
1: Seems like everybody is this year. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
3: amazing how many uh, one-year deals there are. I mean, well over, like, 200, 300. uh, I think it was... I think, and particularly at the minimum, south fact. I mean, more than that, as far as just one-year deals. But yeah, I mean, there's more one-year deals, and you can understand it, you know, because again, you know, from the team standpoint, they don't have a lot of money because of the 182.5 cap, and so uh, you know, they're trying to get one-year deals as low as they can. And from the player standpoint, you're maybe unfortunately willing to take a little bit less so you can make more money next year into free agency.
1: Yeah, but the thing i was thinking is, I mean. <laughs> You know the nature of the profession; yeah. I mean, it's an incredibly risky business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I give give the players you know credit for their audacity and betting on themselves, if you will, you know, and hoping to strike big when the money uh, goes back up next year, hopefully. But uh, man, that's a that's a tough business to take such a risk on.
3: Yeah, but that's that's what you, what what can you do? Because if you don't have more than a one year offer, it's not like you're going to be able to create it. Uh, and so because well, of that, yeah. it's like, uh, I mean, you, you you know what's out there, and, you know, it's going to be pretty much a one-year deal, particularly even now, uh, this late in free agency, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, most of the deals that were done since May the 2nd are all one-year deals.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I know Douglas uh, signed an awful lot of one-year deals. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, I can certainly appreciate that from a, you know, financial perspective. Um, but, of course, they had the money to spend. But, you all I'm just kind of wondering, I mean, how do you, I guess, build a team uh, with, you know, consistently one-year contracts? Uh, certainly it certainly gives you flexibility to retool if things don't work out. But um, if things do work out, then either you have to pay, you know, through the nose the following year to keep somebody that actually worked out for you or you're going to lose them.
3: But what are you so, going to do when the cap goes down $16 million when you didn't anticipate
1: it? Well, I, I, that's true for a lot of teams, but I don't think that was a problem for the Jets. No, no. Uh, I mean, they've been anticipating this, and uh, they've been in great cap shape now for, for several years. Um, so they, they've been gearing towards this, and I give them a lot of credit for that. But uh, it just seems difficult to build things for the long
4: term.
3: Yeah, it is, but uh, this was a different year. I mean, again, you can't use this year as the model because, again, you have a pandemic. You have, uh, you know, you're coming off a year where... Uh, fans weren't in the stands, revenue was down, and so uh, you have to make the adjustment. Now, next year, you can start getting back to normal, but there was no normal this year. I mean, again, when when the cap goes down like this, and you go one week before the start of free agency, and you don't know what the cap's going to be, I mean, then you have to kind of take your lumps.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it all bounces back next year. Um, hopefully it will, and I certainly hope so for the players, um, because... Yeah, man, that's a tough way to make a living, and I hate to see these guys uh, get shorted uh, mm-hmm. or just make bad decisions because that, that, that's tough.
3: Yeah, it really is, but not, it is what it is, and so, uh, but you know, so did you like so far what the Jets have done?
1: Yes, I think it was a stellar off season. Um, I, I think they've done everything that they could do. Yes, there are holes, um, but uh, you know they weren't going to be able to plug every hole because you know, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Too many. You've got cracks all over the place. You only have so oh, yeah. much, uh, so much, so much seal to, to patch it with. But I think next, this is the year to put every, the system in place to get your core players in place, uh, to get your players to buy into the system, and to kind of finally sort out who's with you and who's not going to make it. And then next year is the year that they really bounce um, and they, they they plug the final holes next year, and uh, and they start moving forward. Uh, this year is just. Let's uh, let's teach everybody what's going on and find out what we have and and move forward. So, you know, quite frankly, if they win six games this year, I'd I'd be ecstatic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anything more than that, I think, would be a a miracle. Um, But six games, I think, is appropriate. And also, let's let's see how they play, because there's probably going to be a lot of mistakes and a lot of growing pains. But uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. It's going to be fun to watch them grow.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we'll see how it goes with Zach Wilson. It's it's funny because there seems to be even more criticism of Zach Wilson right now, even though they pretty well leveled him as a number two pick in the draft second quarterback.
1: Well, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know if they're trying to dumb down expectations. I I don't, I don't really know, but, um, you know, it's basically been playing in their underwear. I mean, let's give the kid time. Let's give the kid a chance. Let's let's see what happens. You know, Mm -hmm. um, it's still awful early. And, uh, you yeah, I wasn't terribly crazy about the pick because I just don't think he's going to last physically. I think he's got the tools. I think he's got the gumption. I kind of like him. And uh, he may be perhaps the most talented quarterback that they've drafted since Chad Pennington uh, from head to toe. Um, and I think he's got the savvy. Uh, and certainly the mental uh, wherewithal acumen to, uh, to, much like Chad Pennington did. But uh, let's see if we can keep him on the field. That's my biggest concern with this kid. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, again, as we talked last week in depth, it's like there's literally nothing behind them. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, this is it. So they, they've got to keep this kid upright.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be because I think we finally have hope, John. Uh, we finally have a front office that's working hand in glove with the coaching staff, with the coaching philosophy, and they're talking to each other, they're listening to each other. And, and that, that for the Jets, I, I mean, come on. We haven't had that in 10, 12 years. Uh, so I think that that's just, that's just a great step. And I think they've made some very good roster moves. And I think you can see that they're very shrewd in how they went after free agents. And they were looking for particular people. They weren't just looking to spend money like, you know, McCagden would. And, uh, they were looking for particular people for particular purposes. And I, and I like that. Um, so we'll see if they can coach them up. Um, it's going to be interesting because that second half of the draft this year, where they just basically did the shotgun approach with a bunch of young defensive backs, you know, let's see if they they, they pick the guys you know that they 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 felt fit their system, and if they can coach them up. Because you know I thought that was a little bit audacious, but you know that's their plan. So let's see if they can execute.
3: Mm-hmm. No, no question about it. And uh, I I still worry about the offensive line uh, you know, obviously uh, they're really talented at left tackle, but you know, can he stay in shape and stay, stay on the field? You know now they've got two options at the uh, right tackle or at least with the other two tackles, you know with George Fant and uh, you know Morgan Moses and all that stuff still have major questions about the interior of their offensive line.
1: Well, yes, um I, I think the kid from USC, is going to be a, a huge, uh, I mean, obviously he's going to have a learning curve, yeah. but I think he's going to be a huge upgrade on, on the left side there and helping the interior because, you know, for the past, well, basically since Mangold left, I mean, it's been a turnstile in the interior line, and that was part of Darnell's problem was, I mean, you just keep getting, you know, just flushed out from from the up the middle. and uh, But I will say McGovern did play much better after I think his hamstring uh, healed, and he did have a pretty good second half of the year. And, uh, you know, those guys, look at the Rams game. Mm-hmm. They neutralized the pass rush, particularly up the middle, gave Darnold some time to execute, and they executed. Uh, so I think if it was uh, with, uh, with Vera Tucker and a healthy McGovern. You know, I also think McGovern is going to fit very well into this zone blocking system because that's much more accustomed to what he played in Denver. So I think he's really going to excel. He did a nice job run blocking last year, as it was. So I think these guys are going to be able to run the ball. Um, I like the Moses pickup because it gives them some depth on the offensive tackle, right. which they've had none um, for the past five, six years. So I, I like that a lot, um, and it's going to be interesting who ends up playing as uh, a playing right guard because they've got several options there. And I'm curious to see how that kid from Charlotte that they drafted in like the fourth or fifth round last year, uh, who basically had the year off because he had a peck. Um, a peck injury, but I think it's Clark or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious to see if they're going to move him inside and give him a shot at right guard. And also I am still hoping that uh, the chuma Adoga NFL tackle experiment is going to end because I think this kid can play in a phone booth. I think he's got some nasty in him. He doesn't really have the feet to play or the length to play on the outside, but I really think this kid can play on the inside. So I'd like to, I'm kind of hoping they give him a shot at right guard because I'd like to see what he could do. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jet, thank you for the call. All right, take care, John. Enjoy the weather, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.
3: All right, sounds good. 866-979-ESPN, Two zero six four two one espn John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com.
2: 866-979-ESPN,
3: espn Give us a call. Let's go to Wheat in Tacoma. Hey, Wheat.
0: Yeah, you're going to get a little early here. Hey, John, you know, I was what, man, I've seen the highlights, uh, just, the, you know, on the NFL network of, uh, yeah. Trevor Lawrence. Hey, John I've, been wait- John, I've been waiting for this kid all these years. And, uh, and I'm wondering, you know, I don't know if you have to be a professional, a scout, or all this, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or just a simple fan to realize, hey, John, I mean, what are your, what? Are you, what is your evaluation on the kid? I know he hasn't played a snap in the NFL. John, can I get some of your thoughts on the kid?
3: Well, I mean, I, I think right now, rating-wise, I mean, he was considered to be the best quarterback uh, ratings-wise to enter the draft since Andrew Luck in 2012. I mean, you can see that he's smart. He's got great talent. I mean, he's got everything that you want except a good team. That's where the problem is going to be oh. because I know oh. he's got a good offensive oh, line. John. John,
0: you're bringing down the party, don't
3: well, it, it is what it is i mean
0: I was, just, I was getting all fired up it. wait how many games oh, wait how many
3: games did they win oh, last year one.
0: one one i was forgetting that <laughs> our to... job I... Oh, I mean, they sorry. got they got a, they got uh, a yeah, bad just... they
3: got a bad defense and so now <clears throat> it's gonna put the pressure on him to probably throw more
0: man. and uh i really i gotta be I just get, sometimes I just get so excited, and I'm like, man, I can't. And then I hear the advertisements, training camps are awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my it it's getting close, baby. It's getting close here. We're <laughs> getting You know, so it's just, uh, oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, for all three teams, you know, get started. And, you know, I know for all the fans and the players, they got one goal to be there. I think it was at Inglewood, uh, California, for what, Super Bowl, was that, 56, mm-hmm. I think it is. Uh, and there uh, were the Rams and the Chargers, played. So that goal, you know, for all the fans and the players and, and stuff like that. So, right. But I was just thinking about that. Uh, hey, John. Another thing I was thinking about. Hey, uh, uh, have you ever thinking about Carson Wentz or anything? And how he's doing and all that stuff in there and training or whatever, players or what are you thinking about going on?
3: Yeah, so far, what, so what far, time? so far, so good. I talked to Chris Ballard, the general manager. And he likes what he sees so far, and certainly I think that uh, he's got the right head coach coaching him because you know when Frank Reich was the uh, offensive coordinator back in Philly, you know they worked together and they got off to an 18 and 11 start, and you know Carson was in the in the position before getting injured of taking the team to the Super Bowl, and so you know so far I think he's he's worked well from what I understand, uh, you know, and you know, now it's just going to be a matter of going on the field and seeing that he doesn't make. The mistakes that he made last year, showing decent leadership and all that stuff. He's got a talented team. He's got the uh, you know good uh, you know good running backs. He's got uh, T. Y. Hilton. I think that uh, they got Michael Pittman at wide receiver. So I, I think right now, I think he has a chance to really bounce back.
0: And then one final thing, my uh, you know I just wanted to mention to you. I remember uh, uh, what would happen here a couple weeks ago. i was listening to the radio or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was delivering stuff. And they were saying that uh, college players can get paid now John did you hear about that or what you oh, what about
3: what, that, it, what it is is you can get endorsements and so you can get oh, endorsements. Well, I, I, you know, well, they're, they're not being paid by the college I mean the college is taking care of their living conditions uh, the scholarships and you know the education and all those different things but now what it comes down to is that uh, you know if you're uh, a college player and you want to do a radio show and get paid for it you can get paid for it if you want to get uh, you know, yeah, some he, some endorsement by a, a company in town, you can get paid for it.
0: You know what it made me think about, uh, you know, I don't know uh, if you remember, uh, I think it was around 1996, uh, well, I think Ed O'Bannon of UCLA, he was on the cover of EA Sports, and he was arguing with the NCAA about, I should be getting paid. Do you remember that story, John?
3: Yeah, yeah. But also, like, the one thing is, is that, uh, you know, you can you can be a football player. And again, you need to be taken care of. And you, I think that, uh, you know, you have your your image and all those different things. And, you know, you can you know, certainly economically take care of it. And they should have been allowed to do that for years. Uh, but now it's like if if all of a sudden, you know, you add salary to, uh, you know, to the football players, what happens to the other sports? What happens to Title Nine? Yeah. What happens it's like if you yeah. if you start doing that, it's like all of a sudden, I mean, you you don't have all these other sports and you want to have these other sports.
0: Yeah, I know. That's what I was wondering about I'm real curious how that's gonna turn out with all the college players and stuff like that. Hey, thanks a lot for your time, John right. Hey,
3: we thank you. Eight six six nine seven nine ESPN, two oh six four two one ESPN. Let's go to Risco in Tacoma. Hey Risco. Hey, John. Hey, how we doing?
0: Good. My qu- um, my question is, if um, Richard Sherman gets out of these illegal allegations and he gets the help he needs mm-hmm. for those suicidal thoughts, do you think the Seahawks will sign him?
3: No, I don't. Not now. I think that, uh, you know, they... Uh you know because again if they do it'll be at a minimum salary but uh, I guess that would have to be a consideration but I think right now that you know they're more worried about his uh, mental state and all that different stuff and also they have enough uh, cornerbacks right now as far as numbers to be able to get through so I'd say right now it's very doubtful what do, what do you mm-hmm. think
4: well well possibly but mm-hmm. very unlikely.
3: Yeah, I, I think I just think it's going to be tough. I mean, I think you know because you know. You're going to have to have a mental evaluation by some people to, to see how he is and all those different things. You know, certainly I think that they'd like to take care of him if they can because again he was so special to this organization and meant so much to the football team and he had a Hall of Fame type of career. But uh, I think that uh, you know that's that, that the the the, the, scary, the the scary part is that you can see that it's not going to it's not going to be overnight that he's going to solve these issues.
0: And um what we know what is the best division in the NFC, which is the um, NFC West, but mm-hmm. which division is the best in the AFC?
3: In the AFC uh, AFC uh, North, because I mean, you've got three playoff teams. I mean, you've got Cleveland, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. And then uh, you know, Cincinnati will be a little bit better, but they're still not going to be good enough. But I think that's that's the best. And I think that the rising up, even though it's not there yet, uh, is the AFC West? Because when you look at the AFC West, you know what you're looking at is that uh, the Chargers, I think, can be a wild card. I think the Broncos can be a wild card. Kansas City's the best team I think right now in the AFC, and you know the Raiders are just kind of like a seven-eight win team.
0: And um, so we, there's been Aaron Rodgers trade rumors as we know. Yeah. But do you think if he gets traded to the AFC? we can make it to the NFC Championship game.
3: You tell Which team? Green Bay? No. Green Bay, no.
0: No. What I mean is the Seahawks mm. have been held back by the um, Packers. Yeah, yeah. And if Aaron Rodgers gets traded, do you think we have a good chance of making it to the NFC Championship game? I, I,
3: I still think they can because I think right now they're still the best team in the uh, NFC West, and, you know, you get that home game and, uh, see where the record goes. But I, I think right now still, I mean, they've, they've got a decent chance, you know. The, and But right now, it's the growing sentiment is that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be traded. You know, the, the Packers aren't uh, going to trade him. And now he's going to take a decision over the next week or so to see, you know, what he's going to do, go to camp, stay out of camp. I know that uh, A.J. Hawk, the former linebacker and good friend who's been with the, with the Packers, uh, is with them all last week golfing. And he gets the feeling that uh, you know, if Aaron's going to do anything, it's going to be stay in Green Bay, whether it's going to be play or not play.
0: Um, I love the show.
3: Hey, Risco, thank you so much.
0: You're welcome, and H- you're better than Mel Kuyper.
3: <laughs> I love Mel; he's great. Eight six six nine seven nine ESPN two zero six four two one ESPN. Gary Hill from the Mariners joining us next.
1: This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. And
3: joining us from the Mariners uh, broadcast team is Gary Hill. And so, Gary, how are they doing this? I mean, how can a, a team that's batting 217, this has three or four uh, injured starters, uh, and they're six games above 500. How is this happening?
2: Ah, that's the magic question, right? How are they doing this? <laughs> well, it's a it's a really good question. And I think part of the answer is their numbers are skewed a little bit by how the first month of the season went. And I keep looking back to May 24th is kind of the date I keep looking at. There was, if you remember... They had just gotten swept by the Padres, Mm -hmm. and they had to leave uh, some of their bullpen guys in San Diego as they went to Oakland. And things looked kind of bleak at that point. You didn't know what exactly was going to happen. It it was a struggle. They were missing guys. Where's this thing going to go? Since then, they have the second-best record in the American League, 28-17, and just behind the Houston Astros. They have played really good baseball. They're plus three in run differential since then, their run differential is kind of ruined after the first month. Their offense now has been above average since then, which is a big step forward considering where they were in the first month of the season. But in total, really to me, it's been the bullpen. That's been a huge story of this season. And it's been guys you never would have expected. You know, I don't think anyone would have uh, expected Paul, uh, Paul Seawall to be. They're uh, pitching and dominating in the highest leverage situations, And you can say the same for Stuckenreiter and Chaguan. That's the reason they've won so many close games, so many extra inning games, the bullpen. And they've had a core of starting pitchers that have pitched really well this year. say Kikuchi, of course, has been an all-star. Chris Flexen... I don't know if people have noticed this or not. He's in the top 10 in the American League in ERA. He's been excellent, and Logan Gilbert has been really good since he's come up as well. So I think, uh, long story, I guess, uh, it's a combo of things, but it's kind of been amazing to watch play out, considering everything they've had to overcome along the way.
3: And I, I just get the feeling that my neighbor, Scott Service, just doesn't get enough credit for how well he's done in keeping this thing all together.
2: He's done a really good job. He's done a really good job, and they've had a ton of things, as you alluded to, they've had to fight through because it, you could have laid out a scenario where they would be six games above five hundred at this point. But part of that scenario I feel like would have been Marco pitching well and Paxton part of this thing and Kyle Lewis following up his season last year. So those are big pieces that have been missing at times this season for the Mariners, and they've been able to survive that. And the job of a manager, it's a big job. It goes, a lot of us from the outside, we kind of look at, you know, bullpen usage and things like that. And it's not that that's not important, it is. But there's so much that goes into keeping a clubhouse on the same page and managing personalities and trying to steer a team through uh, tough stretches. And Scott has done a wonderful job at all of that. And I think you're absolutely right that he deserves a ton of credit for. Uh, keeping this thing uh, going in the right direction and hanging around in this race.
3: Yeah. Talk about flexing. I mean, I mean, there's so many guys right now that have been big surprises, and obviously he's oh. one of them. But, uh, yeah, to be in the top ten as far as ERA, and then like yesterday, what, going seven innings? And, you know, and what, seven innings? And I think he only had like 79 pitches.
2: Oh, super efficient. It's amazing to look at. He had another start of seven plus innings and one earned run allowed or, or fewer. And he's only the third pitcher in the American League to have five of those this year. And we're talking about Eric Cole, Zach Granke, and Chris Flex. His season's been phenomenal. I give the Mariners a ton of credit, first of all, for finding him. I give uh, Flex for a ton of credit uh, for adjusting to Major League Baseball so quickly after pitching in Korea a year ago. And, you know, He, If you take out his start against the Padres in May, he gave up eight runs in less than two innings. He's ERA for the rest of the season is like two and a half. He's been so good. And it goes to show, you know, in an era that we talk about velocity all the time, for good reason. Like, who doesn't want to throw 100 miles per hour? But if you're a guy like Flexen who does a lot of different things well, he's in the top ten of getting ahead, first pitch strikes, He gets a really good ground ball rate in the top 10 there. He doesn't walk anybody. He's in the top 10 there. And he gets swings out of the zone as well. Uh, Guys chase often, which is uh, what you want as a pitcher. You want them trying to hit your pitches. And if you do those things well, you're going to have success. He's doing all of those things at a really high level. And it was interesting to see the Angels now facing him for the second time in a row last night to see how they adjust. And they just got ultra-aggressive because they know he pitches, uh, throws strikes early in the count. So they really went after him, swinging early in counts. And that kind of played to his favor, and that's why his pitch count was so low. But he's been so fun to watch, and he's a pitcher. I mean, that's what he is, a pitcher. He knows what he's doing on the mound, and it showed this year.
3: Yeah, no doubt. And, of course, uh, it's just great to see. What's the story? uh, Is there there any kind of story in the acquisition and what they saw in him? And, uh, you know, how how did this all happen?
2: Well, it's a good story. You know, with everything shut down, there was, like, no baseball happening except in Korea. So that's where the Mariners kind of focused their attention is they – Put uh, a lot of their analysts on uh, watching those games and checking out those games and seeing if there was somebody available and somebody interesting that they could bring over. And Flexen was a the guy they targeted, and yeah, you know, they signed him to a couple years, uh, guaranteed. And you know, they saw something they really liked. They loved when you talk to their analysts; they loved his curveball in particular. And his curveball's been a weapon this year, but it's really been a story about all four of his pitches. And he's pitched with all four of his pitches, uh, including the curveball, which he didn't really have his first time around with the Mets. So it's a credit, I think, to the front office. It's a credit to Chris Fleckton as well. And that's kind of been the big story this year for me uh, is the symmetry between what we see with the uh, analytics department, what we see from the front office identifying guys, uh, what we see, the coaching staff relaying that information, and then we see the buy-in from the players. And it's a story that's played out uh, several different times this year, whether you're talking about a minor league free agent like Paul Seawald or J.T. Chagua or a Chris Flex and bringing him over. It's a story we've seen a lot this year. They've had a ton of success with guys like that, and it's really been a huge part of this season and their success this year overall as a team.
3: One thing I started to notice last night is that uh, Cal Raleigh was out there, and boy, I mean, kind of like Mike Zanino, he's such a good job of framing the pitch uh, as far as where he catches the ball to help get strikes.
2: Yeah, you could see it last night. There was a couple of borderlines that he got. I'm very excited to see uh, how this plays out with him behind home. We've only seen him a couple of games so far. Of course, he had a marvelous year in the minor leagues this season, but Talking to Dan Wilson about him, and Dan Wilson knows his catching, that's for sure. Uh, He just raves about him as a catcher and how he receives and how he works with a pitching staff, and he's so well prepared. So I'm very excited to see him defensively. I think we've seen a glimpse of it already in the first couple of ball games, And we saw it, too, not just framing, but with blocking as well. And uh, a situation last night where things got a little closer than the Mariners would have liked, Hmm. the situation got pretty tight. But uh, he blocked a couple of key pitches down the stretch, too, which is pretty key when you talk about some of the relievers the Mariners have with a lot of movement, a lot of balls in the dirt. I mean, it's a skill you've got to have close in the ball game. But I'm excited to see where this goes with Raleigh.
3: I know he's only been up one day, but it, uh, what's it look like for Jared Kelnick uh, 2.0?
2: Well, uh, I think the smile on his face after his base hit last night told a lot of the story. Uh, and I, he just looked happy, you know, to to snap the O streak that he was on. He looked happy to be back. He looked happy to get the base hit. And I'm uh, anxious to see now that uh, hopefully after that hit he can just kind of settle in. Because uh, I think he can have an impact in the second half of the season with the Mariners. I think we'll see him in center field a lot. Which I think is really great. I think, uh, I think he's going to have an impact offensively, but I also think defensively, it's a pretty solid outfield. Fraley has been a, pro, a plus defender in left field this year. Haniger in and right and, uh, Kelnick in center field. That's a really good defensive center field and defense has been a big part of the story this year for the Mariners as well. They've been plus all over the board. Uh, we talk about JP Crawford all the time for good reason. He's been the best defensive shortstop maybe even the best defensive player in baseball this season. But Dylan Moore has been plus this year. Ty France has been plus at first base. Uh, Seeger has been Seager. Uh, Their defense has been a big key this year, and especially with a pitching staff, they don't strike out a ton of guys. And Chris Flexen is a great example. He doesn't strike out a ton, but he gets a lot of ground balls. And the last couple of games, a lot of fly balls. So defense is key for guys like Chris Flexen, and the defense has uh, been really good. And really consistent this year for the Mariners.
3: Yeah, no doubt about it. And you're right about the fielding. I mean, so where, where would you rank this team defensively compared to past Mariner teams?
2: Oh, so much better uh, when you compare it to just a couple years ago. You remember a couple years ago they just had time, uh, hard time fielding the ball at all. The, there's just mistakes all over the place and. I think, uh man, I give Perry Hill a ton of credit, and the players give him a ton of credit, too. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you look at a guy like Dylan Moore, you know, a guy who's moved around at a lot of different positions, and you look at him defensively, and he's been one of the best second basemen defensively in the American League. And Ty France, who's played a lot of first base this year, you look how he rates out on defensive run saved. He's been one of the best first basemen in the American League. And, of course, we've seen the J.P. Crawford story, and it's about the work, and we see it every day. It's fun to see when we go to the ballpark, and every single day, Perry Hill is out there working with the infielders, going through the drills. They put in the work, and it's paid off, and I think uh, the defense has improved dramatically the last couple of years.
3: Yeah, no doubt, and of course, that's a that's a good sign, because again, it's like it keeps you in the game, <clears throat> and, uh-huh. uh, and then and it also, <coughs> their ability in the latter part of the game to get the key hits to win the close games and the extra inning games?
2: There's no margin for error, really. I mean, that's how the Mariners have played baseball this year. Yeah, <laughs> With, yeah, yeah. When you're winning one-run games and you're winning games in extra innings, you, you can't afford mistakes. You can't afford defensive mistakes. And really, uh, on the other side, you've got to make the plays. you got to make the plays and make big plays, and that's what they've done. And they made a mistake last night it almost cost him. It ended up being a one run ball game with Moore throwing away the ball in the double play. It's not something we've seen very often this year. They did make a mistake late last night and almost got him, but uh, fortunately they came through and they survived. Uh, they survived going through Otani with <laughs> with runners aboard in a tight situation. Not exactly where you want to be, but they survived it.
3: Say what you want about the Angels, but boy, the one, their 1-2 combination is really hard to hold down
2: in battle. Oh. No doubt. They're top three. Uh, Fletcher has been just on fire. He's batting. I mean, he's just killing the Mariners, too. He's just been so good at the top of the order. But he gets on board, and then you have Otani, who's just, uh, in my mind, I put the MVP conversation away a a long time ago. To me, he's the MVP, and he's working on uh, one of the greatest seasons we have ever seen, given he's on pace for 60 home runs. And has an ERA about three and a half. I mean, that is just just—it's ridiculous. And then Walsh, who's been an all-star. What's interesting about the Angels is they've had a ton of things go wrong, too, with all their injuries and their rotation struggles. I mean, Quintana and Bundy are now out of the bullpen. They've stayed above or around five hundred on the backs of Otani and Walsh, basically. I mean, they've been a dynamic one, too. What's going to be interesting for them is when they add Trout back into the mix, That's a really tough one, two, three, and you add Fletcher to that. That top four is going to score a lot of runs. Is it enough to survive their pitching woes and make a run at this thing? I'm not sure, but pitching to them is not fun. And we Mm -hmm. saw it last night. Like You just dread, especially in a close game with runners aboard. You just don't, don't want to face those guys at all. And the Mariners, the key to that game, the Mariners got through that three, With a one-run lead, and then they won the ball
3: game. Yeah. Final thought, when I was watching Otani back at the All-Star game and also uh, last night, I'm starting to wonder with his batting, you know, it's like obviously he's been fantastic, 60 home run pace and all that different stuff. I'm starting to wonder if he's starting to wear out a little bit.
2: You know, that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out in the second half of the season. I know they've done some things to – yeah, because it, it's a lot. It's yeah. taxing. There's a reason why we have not seen this before. Uh, it's because on the days he's not pitching, he's hitting. He's in the lineup essentially every day. He's played 85 games this year, mm-hmm. which is amazing. A starting pitcher that's played 85 games. So they have worked on – like he doesn't take batting practice on the field. Yeah, he took, I think, batting practice on the field opening day, and that's been it. So he, he does hit in the cage and that sort of thing. So they've taken uh, – measures to try and conserve energy. And, like, he's not starting uh, – he didn't start the first few games out of the break on the mound. So they're they're trying to do the best they can uh, because of that. And they need him in the lineup. That's the thing. Yeah. They have to have him in the lineup. He's been such a key to what they've done this year. But it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, Joe Mann has done a good job so far with him. Uh, it's hard at this point to give him days off, too, especially with Trout out because they, they're in a position where they, they need him to win ballgames. So I hope he's able to put together a same sort of second half that we saw in the first half, because it is just phenomenal to watch. We've just never seen anything like this before. I hope it continues. I hope he stays quiet for the next couple of games against the Mariners, yeah. but he can bash everyone else. I don't <laughs> there
3: there you go. Hey, Gary Hill, thank <laughs> you for joining us. Thanks, John. This is fun. Okay. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com.
3: 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Josh in Lake Stevens. Hey, Josh.
4: How you doing, John? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. So I wanted to know if you had a... uh... If there's a KPI or statistic on quarterback success rate when they change teams, okay. Now no, re-
3: re- repeat that again.
4: I'm oh, sorry, I'm gonna, at the barbershop. If there's yeah. a uh, KPI or a statistic out there for quarterbacks, for they change teams,
3: mm, I mean, uh, I mean, obviously there's stats on quarterbacks, and you got QBR, which you know kind of gives you an idea, but a sort, I mean, it's like. Uh, but, I, you know, obviously if they've changed teams this year, then, uh, you know, they we don't have any stats on them or anything else. Uh, and obviously there was a little bit more movement this year than in past years. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one where, you know, some work, some don't work. And, and I, I would probably say for the most part, it's like uh, there's probably ones that don't work more than they work. But, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes for, uh, you know, Certainly, uh, Carson Wentz going to Indianapolis, and we'll see how it goes with, uh, you know, what happens with Sam Darnold down in Carolina. But, uh, you know, in the end, it's like, uh, you know, you make the move and, uh, you know, because what ends up happening is that uh, the big stat is that normally first round picks uh, for quarterbacks, it's like 50-50. One's going to make it, one isn't. And that after about two, three years, uh, then all of a sudden the guy moves on and then we'll see where he goes.
4: Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, the reason I mention this is, you know, you, everybody wants the uh, big money deal, mm-hmm. or sometimes they're not, you know, happy in their uh, situation. You know, they played okay. But then you, you look over time, there really aren't that many quarterbacks that have left the situation that they were in, and they were really successful. It mean, may be like Peyton Manning, Ricardo and lately, you know, Tom Brady, but other than that, you don't see too mm-hmm. many, too many other, you know, final <laughs> angles. You uh, need to make a, yeah,
3: touchdown. Uh, yeah, them the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you can say that uh, of late. I mean, Ryan Tannehill uh, has worked out. He, uh, you know, certainly, and he, he ended up getting a big, a decent contract. You know, after you know not doing as well in Miami, it took him a little time to get established in Tennessee. But I mean, he's done well. Uh, but I think for the most part. It's one of those things where, I mean, you, you, it's most likely you're going to get your quarterback out of the draft and then develop him and then, of course, you know, try to build around that young quarterback because they're going to have the low contract. That seems to work a little bit better. But again, you know, if you're desperate for a quarterback, you're desperate for a quarterback and you need to make a move. I mean, you know, that, uh, you, know you can see that uh, they had some success in Philadelphia with Nick Foles helping him get to the Super Bowl, but his moves... To go to different teams did did not work out, but it's one where you just have to try to do the best you can. Uh, but it's I think that, that second chance on a second team probably. I don't know if the numbers like 65% or so may not tend to work out as best that you can hope. Hey, Josh, thank you for the phone call. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. We'll take your text questions at 710-710 on the Mac and Jack text line, 1030. Dave Grosby joins us. It's the John Clayton show, 710 ESPN Seattle.